what I've found in my own life and in the students we've worked with is that students' exposure changes students' expectations. And the more exposures and the more we can provide that, the more students start seeing, oh, that could be me. Oh, I want to now do that. Oh, I'm interested in that. The spark generates, right? And it's the belief spark. It's the knowledge spark. It's the information spark. But it all starts with the exposures, right? And I think that's done in a lot of different ways and can be done in a lot of different ways. But that would be my parting wisdom, for lack of a better word. The workforce landscape is rapidly changing. And educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So how do we begin to predict the future? Hi, I'm Salvatrice Kumo, Vice President of Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us. You, the employers, the policymakers, the educational institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together. And it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barsi. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo. And this is The Future of Work. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Future of Work podcast. I am your host, Salvatrice Kumo. Today, we'll be learning about Study Smart Tutors and what types of programming they have available for students, families, and programs alike. We will talk about what gaps there are in programming for students and families to learn more about career readiness, exploration, and what we can do as an institution to help fill in those gaps to make programming accessible to all. With that said, we would like to welcome Jack Friedman, founder of Study Smart Tutors. Jack founded Study Smart Tutors out of his dorm at USC because he wanted to provide college access programming to students who wouldn't otherwise receive it. In addition to his work at Study Smart Tutors, Jack is a co-founder of Educational Gaming Services and Advanced Employment Group. Jack, it's so wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Alatrice, for having me. You're welcome, fellow Trojan. I'm a little biased, but you know. (laughs) Absolutely. Very good. So, you know, let's get right into business here, Jack. You started the company in your dorm room. Tell us why. How? How did you get there? What idea did you possess and how did you get it kind of up and running? Yeah. So I'll give you the very short version. (laughs) But I was a college student trying to make extra money. So I started doing some tutoring, teaching SAT prep, working with families locally in Los Angeles, anyone who would hire me, and was working with primarily wealthy students because that's who could afford to pay for a private SAT tutor. So that's where I started. Realized that that was a really challenging space from a business opportunity because there were 700 other companies also doing SAT prep for that population, as well as it wasn't something I was super passionate about. I wasn't passionate about the test. I wasn't passionate about, you know, this group of students wasn't something that 
was anything more than a you know way to make extra money in college. But I enjoyed working with the students, and I discovered right next to my college apartment was a college access program that USC funded for high school students, and the students received free tutoring, they received free summer programs, they received free enrichment, field trips, college prep, all these different things. And if the students got into USC at the end of the program, they got to go for free. They didn't receive any special admission, but they did get free tuition if they were to get in. And I thought, well, this would be a really interesting, maybe they need SAT prep. That's what I was doing. And selfishly, instead of driving around the city, this was a hundred feet from my apartment. So I was like, maybe I can do SAT prep here and save the gas money while I'm at it. So I went into the director of the program's office and I said a couple of questions that really changed my life and business. And I said, you know, what is the biggest pain point that you have in your program? She said, well, more of my students, I wish more of my students got the scholarship to go to USC. I said, of course. Well, what's one of the biggest reasons why they're not getting in? She said, well, their SAT scores are really low. And she said, these are students USC wants, but if they're applying for engineering and their math scores are in the 20th percentile, it doesn't matter how good all these other factors are, right? They're not getting looked at because of their standardized test scores. I said, okay, yeah, totally understand. And I said to her, well, what would you want in your ideal world? And she said, well, I would love to have a motivational SAT boot camp that focused on foundation skill building and SAT strategies. And I was like, oh, that's so weird. I just happened to have a motivational boot camp that focuses on foundation skill building and strategies. And obviously I didn't have that exactly, but I figured I could come up with something that was similar. Yeah. And she said, oh, okay, great. Well, how about Saturday, March 8th or whatever the date was, I'll bring 50 students, you bring all the stuff and we'll go from there. And I said, okay, great. And so we did the class, it went well. And this was eye-opening for me in a couple of ways. One is I realized these students were getting no SAT prep. They weren't a part of this program and I wasn't here today. They would have gotten nothing. That was number one from a mission standpoint of realizing, oh, there's a big need here. And two was, oh, this was great from a business standpoint as well because I'm doing something different than all the other SAT prep companies are doing. They're going after the wealthy market. I've got the other side of the market and I have a customer who... As a one-man college student business, she did all the hard work. She got the kids there. She had the classroom space. She had the pencils. And she called all the parents. She did the registrations. All I had to do was show up and teach. And that was really great. So the third piece from a business standpoint that got me excited to pursue was this group of students would graduate, but this program would exist next year and they would have similar needs. And I could build a long-term relationship with a customer, because that was the challenge with tutoring is in any business, got to find repeat customers, right? The best businesses are the ones we go to every day, right? The Starbucks that people can't live without. Well, you do a great job tutoring or the SAT, the kid gets a great score and he never needs your services again, or he gets a bad score, he blames you and he never needs your services again. So that was the motivation to get started was kind of the need of the student population combined with kind of the business case that I realized was a bit unique in that space. So that's how we got started. As you can guess, SAT prep led to all the things we ended up doing. But for me and the business, it was really a pretty narrow focus at the very beginning, which was doing SAT prep for nonprofits. It was our very original business idea. So that was a long answer to your question. No, it's okay. But now fast forward, right? And taking a look at your model, your business model. Yeah. Maybe let me ask this question. At what point did you feel the need to tweak or evolve the model to fit who you're serving and what you're doing now? When did that evolution process happen? A lot of the models are actually pretty similar, ironically. The biggest thing we realized pretty quickly is 
if you did a great job with SAT prep, people didn't ask for more SAT prep. They asked, what else can you help our students with? And what I realized really fast was there's only so much I can help these students with in a three-hour SAT prep. Like That's not going to solve any of the bigger challenges in the college and career journey for these students. So that was aha number one. And, and so we realized very quickly we didn't want to be an SAT prep business. We wanted to be a college and career readiness business that supported this population of students and families and staff who provide these services. So that was the key is realizing the product isn't the niche. It's not SAT prep. The niche is the customer base. And to this day, all of our customers are institutions, their schools, their libraries, their community colleges, their nonprofit programs, their community-based organizations, et cetera, that are providing services to students and families. And those are our customers to this day is those same institutions and those same organizations. Obviously, we were able to go from small nonprofits to large school districts and things like that over time, but that ethos has pretty much stayed pretty constant. Fantastic. And with career readiness for community college students, right, that component, share with us what that looks like. What does that entail? I'm an institution, right? Yeah. What does that look like for us? And what does that look like for the student? That's a really big question, probably (laughs) bigger than I can probably answer in a short burst. But what we are finding in the work that we do and the more work we do with students is how do we provide really, really specific training combined with really, really broad skills, right? And doing both of those is really difficult, right? Is how do we give these students the most broadly applicable skills they're going to need for the next 60 or 70 years? Most of our students, that's how long they're going to likely work, right? And much of the jobs they're going to be doing in those next 60 or 70 years may not even exist yet. So we have to think about skills for them. That being said, in the short term, the students need specific skills that will on-ramp them into a specific industry and a specific pathway. And that's one of the things that we've been focused on is developing partnerships with industry to create these opportunities, pathways, especially in careers that are maybe the most fun, engaging for students. We all not bore you with the details, but one of the courses that we've developed in partnership with industry has been a course all about the sneaker industry, right? Students love sneakers, right? But the course hits some different on-ramps and off-ramps in careers in that industry, whether that's design, whether that's manufacturer, whether that's retail, whether that's media, right? And we're trying to use things that students are interested in to get them thinking about career pathways that maybe they haven't been exposed to. Because that's the other big challenge we find is students' career goals are often tied really closely to the careers they've been exposed to. And they may have interests that don't at all align with what they've been exposed to, and they often disengage when that's the case. In doing that, have you come across any gaps with programming or information as it relates to career readiness for those families and those students? I mean, you're in the trenches of this work, as well as I am, you know, leading one of our departments within our division called the Freeman Center for Career and Completion, which is basically an elevated, amplified career center Mm -hmm. for our community college. And, you know, we still see a lot of gaps within information that is available and accessible to our students. What are you seeing and, or do you entertain the idea of bridging those gaps or is it just too broad, too big? Totally. I mean, we think about information gap, belief gap, and knowledge gap. 
and, and this is coming out from a bit more of a deficit mindset than probably I'd like to. So it's coming across that way. So I, I just want to acknowledge that yeah. as I say that. But yeah. I think successful career development programming or college or any post-secondary, whatever it is, addresses information, belief, and knowledge, right? And I think ideally the activities that we do hopefully give some components of all of them, right? Some days more successfully than others. In a nutshell, it's those three things. That said, in your work with these community colleges, knowing the landscape of the work that we do, are you finding yourself saying, gosh, I really wish that you know community colleges can better support their entrepreneurial students? You know, entrepreneurship is tricky. Obviously, there's a massive debate about, is it yeah. teachable? Is it not? Are you born yeah. with it? Are you not? And all that's good stuff. But what we do know is entrepreneurship is threaded across many, many disciplines right? In many, many different careers. So I'm just kind of curious, based on your experience, how you think we can be better in supporting entrepreneurs. I think entrepreneurship is a skill set that almost every young worker is going to need at some point in their career. I think there is very likely going to be the need to create your own job, to create your own business, to at some point, again, if I'm 20 years old and I'm going to work till I'm 80, that skill set's going to come in handy at some point. Right. And I think a lot of entrepreneurship that I've seen, and again, I haven't canvassed the landscape about this fully, but what I see is often in entrepreneurship at colleges or things is they have you know, business challenges and things like that, that are focused on, you know, you do a project and the winning team makes the most money with their little product in right. three weeks, right? Which is awesome. And I don't think that's bad, but mm -hmm. entrepreneurship and starting a successful business isn't about how much money can you make in the short term. It's about how one, what type of foundation can you build? And mm -hmm. two is how do you extend the runway as long as possible for you to figure it out? Because I think that's mm -hmm. the biggest challenge that I've faced in starting businesses with friends' businesses who've either succeeded or failed, most of them may have succeeded, but they just ran out of runway, right? They ran out of time. They ran out of money before they right. figured it out. And so I think that that's the question that I would ask any school or class or program teaching entrepreneurship is how do we help extend these runways for our students? What can we provide, whether that's funding, whether that's mentorship, whether that's whatever it is that... Yeah help these students to see that entrepreneurship is possible because they have a runway because many students, they don't take that route because they know the runway is too short, right? right? Given they have loans, they've got bills, they've got all these things. It's like, I believe I have a successful idea, but I can't pursue it because I'm going to run out of money before I get there. So that would be the question I would pose to anybody trying to teach that or promote that or have more of their students pursue that. Are there any institutions or customers that you see, maybe not necessarily doing it well just yet, but are addressing that runway? I mean, I'll shout out, they're not a community college, but I'll shout out my alma mater, USC. I think they've, I don't think any entrepreneurship program or what have you is going to necessarily make someone an entrepreneur who wasn't. Right. I think it's going to create an environment where mm -hmm. someone can believe that they can try and that they can mm -hmm. believe that they can fail. You know, they taught us a lot about, you know, ready, fire, aim, not ready, aim, fire, right? It's yeah. ready, fire, aim, fire, aim, fire, aim, fire, aim. Uh -huh. And giving folks that opportunity, I think, is it's challenging because many of our students, they may want to pursue that uh -huh. down the road, but getting a job is a bigger priority right. in the short term. 
again, going back to what we talked about before, about skills that are broad, but knowledge that is narrow or, or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's a challenge for sure. For sure. And I think it's a good question of why do we as America produce so many entrepreneurs is a really interesting question. Does it happen by accident? Does it happen by the flaws in our educational system create these entrepreneurs? Is it the strengths of our educational system that create these Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, right? It's a really interesting question because you look at countries that technically have a much stronger education system than we do, but yet they don't produce nearly the entrepreneurs that we do. So the question is why? That would be a whole nother unpacking session. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> maybe a panel of discussion of sorts, right? Yes. Someone smarter than me <laughs> probably is going to have to answer that one. <laughs> well, I wonder then as well, you know, so previously I had a previous interview with Barney Santos, who mm-hmm. is a CEO. Who I know. Founder, right? yep. You yep. know, right? I, know I do. I do. Yep. And he talked about just that, you know, he talked about entrepreneurship and the age old question of whether it can be taught or not, et cetera. I mean, we brushed upon it very lightly, but ultimately it boiled down to the question of how do institutions like ours and companies like yours work together to support the entrepreneur, knowing that it's more about developing the environment to allow them to do all those things that you just shared about failing, succeeding, networking, just having the environment of support And that can include so many different things. But basically what we came up with is, you know, how do we do better with partnering with entrepreneurs like yourself and companies like yourself to support the entrepreneurial spirit on campuses, knowing that it's more about the environment that we're creating versus the skills that we're teaching? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is there examples that you think we could do? Like, what could we do with you, Jack, that would, you know, support the entrepreneurs here on campus? I think it's, to me, the most helpful in the entrepreneurship space, and and I want to talk about mentorship and kind of that exposure piece, is to see entrepreneurs that are ahead of you Mm -hmm. on the journey and to work with them, but that aren't so far ahead of you that it's hard to see yourself Mm -hmm. and relate. That's, I think, the challenge, right? Sometimes you get a guest speaker, and I remember having these in classes, you know, and you hear about the guys in his 60s, and he started 12 companies and took them public and, you know, all these different things. And you're here trying to go from zero customers to five, right? And that person is so far removed. And not that that person's not valuable, and it's great to meet that person and ask them questions, but that part is hard to realize, okay, what can Mm -hmm. I learn from this person for Mm -hmm. where I'm at now? And I think for students and for myself even now, right, is I want to be in a room with people who are ahead of me on the journey, but they're not 20 steps ahead of me. And so I think that's the most helpful for students. And that's where we would love to support as well as we're not a massive, massive company. I don't have, you know, multinational with thousands of employees and, you know, those things. So I think it's getting folks to see, I think, that there's a lot of successful entrepreneurs who are not Elon Musk, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And a lot of those folks are everywhere in our society, Mm -hmm. but they're hidden, right? We don't see them everywhere. You know, the person who owns, they might own three Starbucks in our neighborhood. We never notice them. They might have started a successful car lot, you know, whatever. But we don't see those people because they're not in businesses that are sexy, quote unquote. They're not in tech. They're not flashy. And so those are the people that, I think are the most valuable for student entrepreneurs to meet is people who have worked in their business, run their business, learned about their customers, pivoted along the way, faced these real, like that's who I want my students to get exposed to. I still value being exposed to those folks. And that's where I think the mentorship 
those are the people you want coming in to judge business plan competitions, to work with students in small groups, to sponsor a lunch and learn, to, you know, do those types of things. Because I think those are the folks that are likely going to be the most helpful for students that they've otherwise those people don't write business books, right? They're not at that level, but those are the people that I think are so helpful and have been so helpful right. to me. And speaking of journey, you know, where do you see study smart tutors in the next 10 years? Where do you want to be, Jack, in 10 years? I think for us, I'm really passionate about the population of students that we serve, low-income first-gen, mm-hmm. and the communities mm-hmm. that we work in. And so for me, I love creating additional products in those spaces, whether that's for the adults who are serving those students, for the institutions that are serving those students, for the students themselves, for their families. That's the fun part to me. It was never really about any one product. It's about the communities that we serve and what we can do to deliver in them. And we, that's why we branched into grant mm. assistance. We help institutions secure federal funding to do this that's work. Good. And that's really fun because we get to see, hey, we wrote this grant. We worked with this institution mm. to write this grant. And now they're doing X, Y, and Z with this population of students. That I love that type of stuff. I'd also, we have developed a number of industry partnerships to develop courses, certificate-bearing courses in a number of industries. We want to make that better, bigger, deeper. We've not done what I really want to do, which is have all of our courses have direct pathways to into internships, mm-hmm. into jobs. We have industry partners giving us certificates, but I want to ask right. them for more. I want... Real pathways, real pathways into career for our students. We have so far focused mostly in arts and media pathway careers. That's just where we've been able to meet folks and and engage. But I would love to do this across every industry pathway, right? Eventually, we're never going to run out of those. Doing those things are fun and creating things that are unique is fun. All of what you said, I'm thinking, gosh, like how do we, PCC and our brother and sister community colleges, work with you in all these other products. And I really appreciate you sharing all of these other areas, not only areas of interest, but areas of need that you've discovered along the way. So I look forward to offline conversations, you know, from this podcast. There's some good synergies here and I feel it. So I look forward to unpacking that with you. You know, this is the Future of Work podcast, right? If there's one thing that you want our listeners to understand about how what we've shared today, what we've spoken about today impacts their future, what would that be? What I've found in my own life and in the students we've worked with is that students' exposure changes students' expectations. And the more exposures and the more we can provide that, the more students start seeing, oh, that could be me. Oh, I want to now do that. Oh, I'm interested in that. The spark generates right and it's the belief spark it's the knowledge spark it's the information spark but it all starts with the exposures right and i think that's done in a lot of different ways and can be done in a Mm -hmm. lot of different ways but that would be my parting wisdom for lack of a better word that's a really really great one thank you so much i wrote that down by the way I wish I could show you, but I can't. But I have this little wall in my office (laughs) where I put little nuggets of information or nuggets of wisdom that I get from the podcast. And I wrote down student exposure changes to student expectations. I love it. This has been super wonderful, Jack. And I know that you're incredibly busy as an entrepreneur. No, this was fun. Yeah, it's so much fun. I look forward to talking with you further on some synergies with our community colleges and study smart tutors. If there's a listener who is looking to connect with you, what's the best way that they can connect with you? And we'll enter those in the show notes. 
Yeah, they can find us on Instagram. They can always message us on Instagram at Study Smart Tutors. They can always email us as well. I'm happy to give anybody who's listening my email. It's just Jack F at Study Smart Tutors. I always answer my email. Anybody who reaches out, that student or faculty who's interested in anything we're doing or we can help in any way, we'd be more than happy to. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening platform so you can easily get new episodes every Tuesday. You can reach out to us by clicking on the website link below in the show notes to collaborate, partner, or just chat about all things Future of Work. We'd love to connect with you. All of us here at the Future of Work and Pasadena City College wish you safety and wellness.